Lyro with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to our latest RoboHub podcast. Today we'll be travelling down under to speak to Yuxi Leitner, postdoctoral research fellow at Queensland University of Technology and co-founder as well as CEO of Lyro Robotics. With a background in computer science and software engineering, Leitner's research now mainly focuses on grasping, manipulation, deep learning and computer vision. At Queensland University of Technology, he leads the manipulation research stream. And his Brisbane-based deep tech startup, Lyra Robotics, which won the Amazon Robotics Challenge back in 2017, creates innovative robotic picking and packing solutions. Our interviewer Lily spoke to Leitner about his career and research, the Amazon Challenge, Lyra Robotics, and about what it takes to convert an idea into a successful company. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Yuxi. I'm a postdoc at the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision. I'm based at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. Can you talk a little bit about um, your, your background, how you got into robotics? So my background is actually computer science. I'm a software engineer. Um, I've done it for quite a long time. Um, I'm Austrian uh, by birth, and we have a vocational high school scheme. So I did computer science in the mid to late 90s, um, and I was really interested in making things happen on a computer and automating scripts and you know getting databases to talk to other databases. And I got bored of that. <laughs> I thought it's really interesting, but it stopped as soon as I turned the computer off. So I wanted to build something that actually does interact with the physical world and changes physical things. And yeah, then I started actually a master's program um, in robotics, uh, like a European-funded master's program, and I started playing around with mobile robots and realized that that's quite interesting, but I'm much more interested in actually manipulation and picking up things and taking things from A to B and just instead of just driving around. So that's where I ended up. And uh, for the last four years, I've been leading the uh, robotic manipulation efforts at the Australian Center for Robotic Vision. And um, what do you think are some of the most interesting applications for manipulation? So manipulation is a a broad topic, right? So, and, and I think there's certain aspects to it that that are easier than other ones. Um, a lot of the tasks right now are grasping tasks, right? So it's not really manipulation, it's just picking things up. But application areas are every sort of manual task. Right? If you think about it, a lot of the tasks that people are still doing, um, especially tasks that are dirty, dull, and dangerous, so the famous 3Ds in robotics, mm-hmm. a lot of them are very manual. And uh, if we can somehow help overcoming some of the labor shortages in these tasks or the burden of these dirty tasks uh, with providing robotic systems that can exist, that's, I think, the application areas are really interesting. Do you think that by um, by kind of replacing some of these, what was it, dirty, dull, and dangerous, dangerous. tasks um, with, with, uh, with robotics, um, are we kind of paving the way for a new workforce? And what do you think the, the current workforce will do about that? There's, there's always this question in robotics, yeah. yeah. Um, every, every technology has sort of replaced or displaced certain tasks. Um, 
so yes, there will there will be certain changes that come with that. I do believe that humans are actually very adaptive when it comes to that. We've created new jobs all the time. If you do a, a job that just consists of doing the same task over and over again, and that doesn't matter if that's a physical task or a task on a computer, there will very soon be a time when, when there is a system, if it's an AI system or robotic system, that can do these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Which I think is also good because I think it provides us with, with a slightly different approach to the workforce. It's more problem solving, higher level reasoning, these sort of things, instead of actually just doing repetitive tasks. Yeah. What are some of the, the challenges um, from a technical point of view? Right. <laughs> actually, I think there's a lot of challenges. Um, First of all, robotics is an integration discipline, so you need to combine hardware with software. We are really focused on computer vision aspects of it, so visually detecting what objects I want to pick up, or even understanding that there's an object in front of me, which is actually hard enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a very important aspect of it is how do I integrate the system correctly so it actually works robustly. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we still have. We can work it out in sort of limited settings. We've done automation of factories for the last 50 years. So we can change the environment, build a structured environment around it. Everything that's getting more unstructured is still sort of a hard problem. Okay. In grasping, we got really good at picking up objects if we have a top-down view of the scene and have a single gripper, usually a two-finger pinch gripper, coming for an object. Clutter, um, objects that are deformable, all these sorts of things is still open research questions how to solve that. Yeah. What do you think are some of the, the promising directions for finding or unfinding clutter? <laughs> <laughs> in the last years, you've seen a lot of deep learning coming and helping uh, understanding sensory information. And it makes a lot of sense. We can model a lot of the interactions. We can model certain physical aspects. But a lot of like the fine-grained details, so for example, friction coefficients, are actually really hard to model. So it's actually a very tricky problem to figure out, even if you have like you know, an object on a table, let's say, and you push it. Estimating how far it goes is actually really, really tricky. Um, Estimating it based on friction models is really tricky? Based on, yeah, so basically, if you would just physically model it, you could have a rough probabilistic estimate of where it is. But it's pretty uncertain, Um, especially if you have not interacted with that before. So this is Canada. If you actually slip on ice or go on rice, it's actually quite different than if it's a wet road or a dry road. So these are things that you need to sort of interact to learn what these coefficients are. And I think that's some aspect where we're learning, machine learning, deep learning can really help because we can learn these sort of aspects that we have a hard time modeling mm-hmm. by just observe it, observing multiple interactions and sort of find the right epsilon to our sort of more generic and therefore easier to explain model. Yeah. You mentioned that um, robotics is at its heart kind of an integration problem, uh, but you're also kind of talking about the importance of deep learning. And I feel like a lot of people right now are have, have a background in deep learning or are very interested in that as a topic. Do you think that that is a hard bridge to gap with people who have more of a physical background? Or uh, It's always... It's always this sort of clash of new technologies with old technologies. Uh, in eventually, you will need both, right? So deep learning is just a tool. It's, it's a wonderful tool that allows us to find structure in, in data, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not going to solve AGI or, or anything like in a grand picture. You will still need logic. We'll need still some sort of integration with hardware systems. And I think that's something that actually a roboticist can bring to the table to just purely computer vision or purely deep learning people. And we as roboticists need to understand what we learn, that there's lots of subsystems and they need to interact. And sometimes those subsystems don't really act the way they are. 
but we still need to deal with it. So how we build these robust systems is something that is very applicable to how we interact, for example, a deep neural network with a controller or a deep neural network that sort of extracts some information with a next subsystem that makes some sort of decision-making. Mm -hmm. What are some of your current projects that use deep learning um, or some of the ones you're most excited about? <laughs> so we, we use a lot of deep learning. So I, I did my PhD in an AI lab in Switzerland and they did a lot of uh, early stage deep learning uh, back in the early 2010s. Um, so we in, in Brisbane also use a lot of deep learning, especially on the vision side of things. Mm -hmm. What's really exciting is trying to bridge the gap between simulation and real robotics um, application areas because a lot of these approaches still use a lot of data. Right? So if you want to train a deep neural network, you need to have a lot of information. So we use simulators for that. But unfortunately, simulators are not perfect. Otherwise, right. it would probably be slower than the real world. Um, so bridging that gap is something that we've tried to explore, especially for grasping. Um, mm -hmm. Contact forces is something where we don't have really good models, as friction was mentioned before. So we try to find ways that we can learn the right thing in simulation and then adapt on the fly on the real robotic system to perform, for example, grasps. I think that's a really interesting avenue. Another really interesting avenue is how do we now go from, we're getting good at grasping an object, but what do we do with the object once it's grasped is still a question. And those things should actually be joined together. I, I pick up an object with an intent. I pick up an object so I can do something with it. So I don't know cup of water, I pick it up so I can drink. So there's certain graphs that make more sense than other graphs. Right. Is this something that I can model or is this something that I can learn? Two different avenues. Both have their pros and cons, right? Ideally, probably you find a hybrid model where you have certain predefined characteristics. So for example, we know gravity works in certain cases in a certain direction, so that's probably something you can start with. We might not know specifically for this object how to grasp it, but I've seen a different handle before, how to kind of extrapolate like, this model to what I'm seeing. So I think this is a really interesting aspect where we can sort of combine the more traditional approaches from robotics, physics, uh, modeling point of view with the data collection and deep learning. Approach. So that's a very like a very high level abstraction of learning of like this is this kind of object and how do I pick it up? But then a lot of I assume your vision based work is kind of very low level learning of like what is in this scene and what does that mean? Um, do you use to similar strategies in both of those? Realms? I think that's actually a really good point. Um, those systems work on different scales, both on on uh, pixel-wise versus semantic scale level, uh, but also on different time scales. Right? Mm -hmm. So my reactive grasping subsystem might really adapt like if it's 30, 40 hertz, right? So I can actually really adapt to where my fingers are going. But my decision-making about if this is the right object or not can run a lot slower, and most deep neural networks that do classification run a lot slower than that. But that's fine because I expect or I can probably assume that the object will not change into another object very often, right? <laughs> so unless uh, set fire to it or something. But um, so there will be different layers. And, and this is actually something that we're looking at as well. And actually, historically, people have looked at us from a control theoretical point of view. If you have different control loops with different frequencies, how do we make those systems robust? So we are actually looking at ways of how can we make different levels, uh, in this case, perception levels, work at different intervals and still work together. The approaches we use are sometimes similar, but also sometimes not. So we use a lot of supervised learning, and that works really well for the low-level, um, like quick um, approaches. 
because you can collect a lot of data as well quickly. Uh, for the high level decision making, we tend to now use a lot of reinforcement learning approaches, um, dealing not just with a pixel level classification problem, but actually with more semantic levels. Like if I were to pick up this object, what would happen next? So. Mm -hmm. Um, so you've mentioned that, that you have different control loops running at different frequencies, um, but also like generally training models is very computationally intensive. Can you do this in any sort of like real time or like what are the time scales on learning these things? Well, a lot of people just throw more computation at it. And I think that's that's one way of solving the issue of, of computing um, power and therefore like how fast you can actually adapt. So during the Amazon challenge, we had um, new objects given to us, like 50% of the, the objects were new, like 45 minutes before a run. So Can you talk a little bit, what is the Amazon challenge? Right. So the Amazon robotics challenge uh, was run three years in a row of 2015, 16, and 17 by Amazon. And it's very much uh, a task that Amazon would like to solve with robotic system, which is order fulfillment. So sticking your hand into a box of objects, picking up the right object, visually identifying that this is the object that the customer ordered, and stick in a cardboard box and is sent to the, uh, to the customer. So during that challenge, they gave us uh, 40 or so objects uh, placed mm -hmm. in a shelf or shelf-like structure. And our robotic system had to identify these objects, was given an order list of three customers, and we would need to find the right objects and put them in cardboard boxes. Part of the really important difference in the 2017 challenges over the previous one that they didn't give us the object sets before. So they gave us part of the objects set before, so mm -hmm. you could deep learn over like five months your neural network on those mm -hmm. objects. But then on the day, 45 minutes before you run, you actually got new objects. So you needed to adapt really quickly. And we collected only a handful of images for the new objects. And we could train, uh, fine tune the pre-trained network in about like 30, 35 minutes to reasonable accuracy. Okay. So that's a time frame, and that's about two years ago. So probably now you can do that a bit faster. It's still not instant, right? And it's not something that you can on the fly adapt. But it's also a question of what you want to learn. Our network was not perfect. But it was good enough that out of like 10 objects, we could pick one object. And once we would have picked up one object, we had only one object, or sometimes two, in our hand. Mm -hmm. And then we could have a second look and get a lot more uh, reasonable estimates of what the object is, because now we have reduced the clutter. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of what you want to learn. If you are smart about choosing the right question and the right metric that you want to learn, you can actually learn on the fly. You can adapt on the fly to certain things. That doesn't mean you're going to solve the problem of object detection on the fly, but it might solve a part of it on the fly, which is actually the relevant part. And that also probably um, is the, which robots you are using is probably a factor of that. So does this... That's where the integration comes again, yeah. right? So the robotic system, the hardware, both like vision systems, but also graphics cards, or if it's an embedded system, how do you integrate them together? And what is the trade-off between throwing, let's say, more data at a problem or more hardware at a problem? It's not always clear at the beginning. But again, this is something the roboticists have done in the last 50 years over and over again. So we've gotten really good at sort of this rapid prototyping, seeing how it goes and wow. improving on it. I had, a, I had a question earlier about um, how much of your time do you think you spend working with simulations versus working with real things? Right. And has that changed over your career? I, I'm very much uh, put it on a robot first kind of person. I, I'd like a 
you know, moving robots like to see them do things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that doesn't always work, right? So, and, and as you mentioned before, uh, your interest in aerospace, obviously, that doesn't work, right? You can't always just send a robot to Mars and see if it works. Right. It's just not, <laughs> that's just not efficient. For a, a lot of the things that we do right now, we do some prototyping and simulation. So if you design new hardware, obviously, you do that in simulation first, and then 3D print them and test them on a, on, on a physical system and have to sort of iterative loop. For the computer vision aspects, we do collect data sets on robots and then learn off them. So that's sort of, I guess, some way of simulation. Um, I would say it's it's probably from my time about like 50-50. Um, but that also depends on some of the students. Some of the students that I supervise are much more, you know, put it on a robot first and then mm-hmm. see how it goes. Some others are working a lot more in simulation. So there's a spectrum from yeah. 1090 to 9010. <laughs> Um, what are some of the, the projects your students are working on? Right. So I supervise uh, students in that manipulation space. So for me, that falls into like slightly, if, if you want to split it into three categories. One is reaching, like how do I get my hand from A to B? Um, visually, got it mostly. How do I then do the second part, which is sort of the grasping part? Like how mm-hmm. do I decide where do I point or how, where do I place my gripper on an object? And eventually doing then the third part, which is manipulation. So um, now we, uh, I'm trying to, so we did a lot of work on reaching. My students did a lot of work on reaching from sim to real transfer and reaching and so forth over the last three, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, there's a few of them working on reactive grasping. So how do I do quick grasps on, on local geometries? Um, and we just started working with two students more on the manipulation aspects of things. So one aspect is grasping with intent. So how can I integrate uh, grasp or, or task level intent into a grasp level? So How do you do that? That's a very good question. You should ask <laughs> a student. Now, um, we have some ideas, and, and that falls also back to like this multi-layered approach. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that robots, and Peter actually gave that talk the other day as well, the robots need to be fast and reactive to changes in the environment. So we built a low-level, fast reactive grasping, which basically deals with just local geometry. So an RGBD camera, but deals mainly with the depth and tries to find contours where gripper could attach itself to. And that runs really fast. Um, on a higher level, we do object detection. And we can do that object detection in image space. We can actually find our grasp points in image space. And therefore, we actually have two maps that are both in image space, and we can then have a simple XOR that tells us what's a good grasp point on that specific object. The next layer on top would actually be a grasp um, or a task level description. So it could just be a parts model. The simplest one is probably a parts model that says, this is a handle Mm -hmm. of an object. For the next task, I want a pour, so therefore the handle has a higher priority than the rim of the class, let's say. And that's, again, in image space, and therefore we can then XOR the whole map or the whole stack of maps together and find out what the good grasp point on the object is on the right part of the object. So all of that is in image space? All of this. Right now, all of this. Are there other spaces that you deal with? We try to put everything into image space because it gives us this flexibility that we can run them independently and then sort of just at one step stick them together. We have explored some other ways of semantic space instead of pixel space. So basically you extract semantic information, let's say an object, and then you deal only with object interaction, especially when there's lots of stuff happening in the scene, a highly dynamic scene. Uh, we have also in our group people working with self-driving cars, right? So there's lots of 
people moving around. You don't want to pixel predict where they're going. You actually want to predict where the people are going. So you work on a slightly different layer. Right. Uh, similarly here, if you have, for example, build a tower of blocks, you might not want to predict on the pixel space, but actually on the block space. Is this block going to stay on top of the other block or is it fall off? So this is something that we're looking at, and we're not totally sure what space that is, but currently we are in image space and it works reasonably okay. Nice. Yeah. But that's a PhD project. <laughs> so for the Amazon challenge, um, how did you get involved in that? And are there other are other companies doing challenges like that? So we got involved in the Amazon challenge in 2016. Um, this was the first time we, we participated. And for me, it was an interesting way of exciting students to to come and join and, and see what a robot can do. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, so undergrad students, hopefully turn them into PhD students later and ask really interesting questions about robotic manipulation. Um, so we got into that in 2016. We, we had a bunch of undergrad students working on, on code base for us and actually built a really cool system that a code structure and an experimental structure that we can use on different robots. And in fact, we're still using it for some of our experiments these days. It's quite nice and modular. And in 2017, we had about sort of 20 undergrad students that, that joined us for this project, which led to a lot of managing. But <laughs> but also it was, I think, a really, really interesting experience for the students to, to you know, work in a large team, uh, build a robotic system, both hardware and software, uh, work with computer vision uh, and the AI systems around it, and, and manage to you know, make it work in five months, uh, ship it to Japan in, in checked-in luggage on an airplane, which was a lot of fun, and, uh, and build it up on-site and see if it actually works. Uh, and, and I think for me, that's that's probably the most important aspect of it. We we created an opportunity for the undergrad students to do something, um, build a prototype in a short time, and then actually probably like five, six of them turn into PhD students. Are they mostly CS students? Um, at QUT in, in Brisbane, we have a lot of mechatronics students. So they are um, electronics and mechatronics mechanical engineering, so they're actually good, really good at building stuff. Um, I'm a computer scientist, so I, I sort of help them with making the software then work on these built things. But in the end, it was a, was a quite large group with a, a diverse mix of backgrounds and skills. And do, do you know of other challenges like this? Right. Um, there's a bunch of other challenges in that spectrum um, from RoboCup at Home, which is a challenge uh, designed similar to like the RoboCup football soccer uh, robots um, where you either get a standard platform, like uh, I think one is the SoftBank one and then the other one is a Toyota uh, humanoid robot, and you perform tasks in a house domestic setting environment where you sort of need to traverse a room, uh, you need to find, for example, where a chair is, where a table is, pick up things like a trash bag and put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been running for a bit. There's also a European Robotics League that has a very similar um, challenge in, in, in their um, framework, which basically updates every year. Um, there was a NASA challenge, uh, but I think that has actually stopped recently. Um, and there is a, a few industrial assembly challenges. So one is running at the World Robotics Summit where um, they are trying to get a robotic system to uh, build up a gearbox, which is actually quite a lot of dexterous work and screwing things into little tiny holes. So it's it's actually mm-hmm. quite complicated. They all have slight different focus areas. I think the thing that Amazon did really well was that they didn't give us a lot of rules. So it allowed us to explore a large state space um, and 
given obviously the name of Amazon, also attracted quite a lot of people from industry and academia. The other challenges are always a bit more niche, I would say. How would you say the challenges and the solutions have changed over the past few years? Right. In the Amazon challenge, you could see that they sort of converged. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why they have stopped running the Amazon challenge. Um, so, for example, suction really works well. Right? So it's, it's part of the engineering solution. We would like to have hands. Like I think a lot of roboticists working in manipulation would like to build robot hands. Just mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are inspired by what our hand can do. And uh, my background, as I said, is computer science. And when I started my PhD in manipulation, I was like, I mean, how hard can it be, right? Pick up, pick up this blue cup. <laughs> And now, 10 years later, I'm still trying to solve this problem. So, <laughs> still trying so, to pick so, up the cup. So it turns out it's a bit harder than, than expected. Um, but in these challenges, uh, sometimes engineering solutions are the more robust solution. And there's a lot of um, variance and a lot of last-minute changes that you have to do in these challenges. Things will break. Um, your software will break, your hardware will break. So during our Amazon Challenge run, we actually broke our arm completely. Oh, no. Um, it actually fell off right off our, our uh, rail system. Um, but we had a 3D printer with us, so we printed a spare part, and we could run What's again. What's the time scale? How long is the challenge? So the challenge was... Uh, there was two parts to the challenge. Uh, the first day was a half-hour run uh, where you need to stow. So basically, that's uh, taking uh, an object out of a thing of returns, like a mess, and stick it into the shelf. The second day was another half-hour run for picking, which is the order fulfillment. And then if you would qualify, there was actually a final run, which was slightly longer, 45 minutes. But you basically had to do both tasks. You would get a box of returns, you put it in in the shelf, and the mess that you make in your shelf, then you have to pick from. So Mm -hmm. that was the final task. So that's sort of the the time scale for running them. And... uh, so you 3D printed a whole new... Well, parts of the, okay. of, of the robot arm. But yes, our robot was, was quite cost-efficient when it came to that. We had a lot of 3D printed parts, aluminum extrusions, and uh, we had a few spare parts, uh, like cameras and stuff with us, and motors. But yeah. So coming from kind of a, like a research background, but working in, in this sort of industri- industry-oriented field, um, do you think it's that academics are pushing forward this field or industry or is there a, a pull given thoughts on that it's it's really interesting so i've been an academic for a while now and and i'm really i really like to see you know the aspect of driving the problem and the solution forward like yeah. on a theoretical level what is actually right now a big thing that takes a lot of my time is thinking about what is a way so we can model interaction physical interaction of a robot with an object. How do we model that? What's the what's the framework to be used? What, what are the concepts that we need for it? Uh, what do I need to describe the scene, mm-hmm. the kinematic of the robot on, on a sort of theoretical level that actually allows us to, to compare results but also see which ones of the aspects of the, the bigger problems are the ones that we need to push forward. Is it the hardware? Is it the software? Is it sort of the, the modeling aspect? What is it? On the other hand, as, as a roboticist, I like building things and seeing that they work. So I think robotics is, is closer to some industry applications than, than other more theoretical research areas. The other thing is that we've done automation in industry for a long time. Um, and we've automated a lot of the tasks that are easy to automate. Mm-hmm. But the push that happened in the last 
maybe like 10, 15 years in robotics, partly because cameras got cheap, uh, deep learning worked, we can collect data, we can do actually machine learning on a system these days. That created a big gap between what is currently in industry and what is actually possible. And I think that's sort of the space that you know, Kiva went into, went before it was bought by Amazon. That's why you see a lot of these robotic startups popping up right now, because there's a large gap. And that large gap means that there's an interest, there's a, a value proposition there that you can actually mm -hmm. propose to somebody uh, in industry. And that's why you, I think, see a lot of this transfer of the technology and the people from academia into, into industry. And in fact, the same thing happened for us. So we created a spin-out out of the Amazon Robotics Challenge technology in Brisbane. Um, and we're looking at, at some of the markets there because there is this current automation solutions there that have a hard time dealing, for example, with uh, changing in fruits. Right? So if you put a bunch of avocados in front of a robot, they don't all seem to be look the same. right? So you can't do just three model matching very easily. Mm -hmm. So you need to, to have more uh, adaptive solutions, which we can do nowadays with cheap cameras and deep learning. Right? So there's, there's a potential to, to provide a, a value. So you have a spinoff? Yes, we created a little more about that. So we created a company uh, about like eight months ago. It's called Lyra Robotics, and it's basically taking Cartman, which was the robot that won the Amazon challenge, um, which by itself is a Cartesian system, to perform tasks in uh, in some industry areas, uh, especially where there's in Australia a labor shortage. What so. do you mean it's a Cartesian system? Right. It's, it's uh, think like a three D printer, large. Right, so you have three axes that move around, um, and at the end of the axis, instead of like a three D printer, you would have something where you know, the gooey things come out. In our case, we put a gripper there, right? So okay. we can move the gripper around, and we can place ourselves in this whole three D environment very easily and very fast. That actually has the benefit that we can very easily retrofit existing conveyor belt systems because mm -hmm. the conveyor belt just mm -hmm. runs underneath the robot. Um, and so we're looking at application areas where there is potential to automate, but for example, a small farm that doesn't have the money to fully automate their warehouse or the, the packing solutions, we can actually have and help them with the current solutions by sticking that robot onto a belt, um, helping pre-sorting or washing or packing of fruit. So you said eight months ago you started? Yeah. So what what... Where are you at now? We are still very early stage. We explored a couple of different markets. Um, there's a lot of, as I said, my background is more academia, but there's a lot of things to learn in, in a business aspect and startup aspect. So uh, there was actually a really good keynote as well um, by Ryan yesterday um, mm -hmm. on that. And a lot of it is to translate not just the technology, but also the words that we use in academia uh, and that use as a student into words that people with a business background or people that run businesses understand. Um, most people don't particularly care about what specific technology you use as long as you can provide a certain amount of throughput or apples being picked per hour, for example. So there's a lot of um, finding the right in, in business terms, product market fit. So yeah. finding where it actually makes sense, uh, where that robotic solution can provide a value, and finding that, that niche where people are willing to pay for it. And how, how big is the how big is your team now? We're still small. Uh, we are in in talks with certain partners to actually deploy our robotic system. Um, we're, we're in the early seed rounds. Um, maybe in a couple of months we can talk more about it. Awesome, great. Well, that's probably all we have time for. Um, any closing 
thoughts. <laughs> no, th thanks for having me. And, you know, we're always hiring for postdocs also in Queensland. So if you ever want to come to Australia and work on robots, let me know. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. No worries. Really interesting, but I'm afraid that's it from us for today. Remember, you can access all our past episodes at robohub.org forward slash podcast. And if you enjoy what we do, why not support our work and become a patron? For just a few dollars a month, the price of a cup of coffee, you can make a real difference. Our podcast is entirely run by volunteers and we rely on our patrons to enable us to bring you the latest from research labs, manufacturing halls and conferences around the world. So if you can spare a dollar or two a month, check out our Patreon campaign at robohub.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back in about two weeks time. Until then, goodbye. Lyro with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.